welcome to Faith Backstage. My name is Joey. As always, great to have you guys here. This is the podcast where I sit down with pastors and church leaders, um, people in ministry, and get to hear a little bit of their story, what they're passionate about. Um, this is one of those episodes where I'm having someone on who is not uh, in direct ministry, I would say. He's not a pastor, not a church leader, but someone who I do think is going to have some great insight into a specific realm that I don't know if we, t- we either talk about it too much or not enough in the church. His name is Chris Williams. Chris, thank you for being here. No problem. Um, we are new friends. We met uh, about a month ago. We went to uh, Ens- did an Ensenada mission trip together. We did. Uh, and it was awesome. I got to see you kind of in your element doing the journalism thing. Yes. Uh, we were the like media team mm-hmm. for that trip, and so you did the like interview question asking, um, and it was it was it was it was great hanging out with you and working with you. And uh, your I just got to see. I feel like your skill set. Like your gifting shine, which is really awesome to see. So, well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you're off to Tanzania this week, right? In a few days, I will be heading to Tanzania on a, another mission trip for uh, Rocky Peak. You just like signed up for both of them, like back to back. I did actually. Yeah, <laughs> I was really eager to do a mission trip, and so um, Ensenada, I thought was was going to give me a good introduction as to how Rocky Peak does mission trips. Yeah. But Tanzania was the one I really, really was looking forward to too. Yeah. But yeah. It's a, it's the real deal. Are you are you climbing Kilimanjaro? No, I'm not. Oh no. Okay. No. Gotcha. I have a fear of heights. Oh really? <laughs> oh dang. yeah. I can't even drive up certain roads in LA. Oh dang. It's, yeah, it's pretty bad. So, have you always uh, had that? Yes. Dang, There's crazy. never been like a problem until I moved to LA. Really? Uh, yeah. Are there not heights? Where are you from? Remember where you're from? Washington, D.C. Gotcha. There's not a lot of heights in Washington, no, D.C. No, no, no. And when they are, you have trees. But the thing about LA is everything's on a cliff, or most of the things yeah, on a totally. cliff. And that's what really gets me is the cliff or the drop off. Yeah, for sure. So does the pass make you nervous driving the pass? Santa Susana Pass to get here? No, that's pretty okay. Yeah. That's, that's pretty safe. But yeah. if it was any higher, there's like a threshold. I can yeah, go up to a yeah. certain height and then it starts to kick in. Yeah, that, that makes yeah, sense. The pass is okay. You guys are going to be camping for the Tanzania trip. We are. How are you feeling about that? Well, I have camped before. Um, it's not my favorite thing to do, but for this trip, I'm just kind of keeping my head down and okay. just following um, Brian Moorhead's guidance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just feel like that's the best way for me to kind of Make it through those nights that we're going to be camping. Yeah, that's crazy. So I actually, um, I've been on two missions to the tribe that you're going to, mm. but we got to stay in hotels, yeah, which yeah. is a very different experience. So we were driving an hour both ways uh, on the bus yes. to get from the hotel. To yes. the, to and the we will stay in a hotel in the later part of our trip. Okay. And I think we're just camping for two nights, I think. Yeah. Two or three nights. Gotcha. Yeah. What so. was your, uh, what, what made you want to go on the trips? Like what was, what was the heart? Like what, what? what was it that you feel like God was calling you to do? So to tell you the truth, for most of my spiritual journey, I have been anti-mission. Oh, really? Very much so. I felt like I wasn't qualified. I felt, uh, I I didn't know what people would think of me if I went on a mission trip. Like, yeah. is he a, uh, what we call a holy roller? Or, you know, yeah. I just I just was very insecure about that. Um, and so I kind of just shied away from mission trips. And then the whole idea of me going across the world, uh, to help people, um, <laughs> it, it, it was a tough sell for me because okay. I have friends who like go to like India yeah. and I was like, well, did you see any of India? It's like, no, no, no. We were there for a mission trip. And I was like, you flew all the way to India? You didn't even like go <laughs> yeah. on a vacation, you know? And so yeah. I'm thinking if I want to fly around the world, I want to at least get out and like see things. So my mind, I was not spiritually mature enough looking back on it to really go on a mission trip. Then one Sunday I was listening to a pastor on television, getting ready to come to church. And he talked about the importance of mission trips. Yeah. And even after that sermon, I still wasn't convinced. But when I came to Rocky Peak later that morning, yeah. it was during the worship set that it just hit me with a ton of bricks. Yeah. And my heart completely melted. And by the time the worship set was over, I had a complete 180. Dang. About uh, going on a mission trip. I don't know what song it was. And yeah. I don't know if it was so much as the song or just just the atmosphere and just the flow of worship that yeah. really just changed my heart. But it did. So I came into Rocky Peak that Sunday, kind of blah, blah about going on a mission trip. Yeah. And I left that same Sunday like, okay, I want to go on a mission trip. 
That's cool. That's awesome. <laughs> and you were you were like opposed to mission just for yourself, not necessarily as a general idea. Right, right. I gotcha. respect people who have gone on mission gotcha. trips. I have tons of friends who did that. I just felt like it just wasn't for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I When I went on, I, I actually ended up doing just completely randomly. I did three trips to Africa mm-hmm. all in the same year. Yeah. Um, and I don't even remember what my motivation, I just wanted to like do it. Like yeah. I just wanted to like have the experience of it. I don't even know if I had like a specific motivation in going. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's so world expanding, you know, mm-hmm. like, do you travel for, for your job? I used to, I used to be a television news field reporter. Right. And so that every day I was out in the field somewhere. Nowadays I work from home. And so I do a lot of, um, interviews over zoom and so forth. So I don't get to travel much now, but I, I was traveling quite a bit as a field reporter, both around the states that I covered and then also across the country covering different stories. Gotcha. That's so, crazy. Yeah. Okay, so I have buried the lead a little bit. You are a journalist, I am. Um, and you've done that. That's been your career kind of from day one, right? It has, since I graduated college in 2007. Dang, that's awesome. And is that is that what you wanted to do? How, when was the first time you remember kind of wanting to pursue that as a career? So I always knew I wanted to work in television ever since I was a kid, but I thought I wanted to be an actor. Oh, and okay, I did yeah. a play in high school, and I completely hated it. <laughs> hated Dang. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I still had a love for television production. Um, and when I was growing up, we did not have cable television. And so the only thing to watch as I got ready for school was our local news. Mm. And I was soon, sooner or later, I started, you know, found, I found myself waking up earlier just to watch the local news. Mm. I just kind of like love what the reporters did. And uh, they traveled around the world telling yeah. stories. Um, telling other people's stories. It just seemed like that they were having a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. And I, and then it still took me a few months, and this was like maybe my junior or senior year of high school where I realized I think I want to do this as a career. Yeah. And that kind of what um, did it for me. So by, yeah, before I graduated high school, I knew what I wanted to do, and I was very blessed in knowing that because a lot of my classmates didn't. Yeah. But I already knew the path that I wanted to That's take. cool. Yeah. And just so I know, as far as, like, your faith journey goes, like, when did you, were you raised in a Christian home? Like, when did you accept Christ? Well, I was raised in a Christian home. Um, I would say that, you know, um, as early as I can remember, my okay. dad was waking us up and going to church um, every Sunday, but... Um, truth be told, that was really the extent of it. Yeah. It wasn't really something that was like overly discussed in our home. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't really get serious about it until um, two events. One was 9-11. Oh. Um, I was in school in Washington, D.C., uh, yeah. just a few minutes away from the Pentagon. And when that happened, um, it it let me know how fragile life was. Yeah. And then a year after that, we were dealing with the anthrax scare in Washington, D.C. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, it's a powder, poisonous powder that people would slip in the mail and send it to a congressman. And there's like a big scare because our school, my high school, was right next to the U.S. Capitol. And so we we would have, you know, we were kind of like on alert for that. And then another event I'm adding this one was a D.C. sniper. Uh, where the guy, yeah, <laughs> high school was pretty interesting for me. Yeah, um, where we, you know, the DC sniper was going around just picking off people, and so it just kind of made me realize how li- how fragile life is. Yeah, and that's when I really seriously started getting. Se- that's when I really started to get serious about my faith because I knew that there was something better than yeah. this. What we're dealing with totally. on this earth. Yeah, so, yeah. Where do you have you met many people who? were raised in DC. I mean, I guess obviously yes, because you grew up in DC, but like I feel like a lot of people move to DC. Mm. I don't know how many people actually like grow up in DC. Yeah, as I've gotten older and my world has kind of expanded, I don't meet a lot of people yeah. who grew up from DC. Or if they did, they grew up like in the suburbs. Yeah. Um in Maryland or Virginia. I haven't it's rare that I will find a true DC yeah. native. And so um, D.C. is very much a transient city. Uh, a yeah, lot of totally. people come and go, come and go. Yeah. And even when I tell people, they kind of question me, too. Like, were you born in D.C.? It's like, yeah, I was born in D.C., raised yeah. in D.C. Yeah. Uh, my entire childhood. Yeah. Dang, so, that's yeah. crazy. So you were raised really close to politics and, like, government happening. Mm-hmm. And so you, I feel like you probably had an awareness of that more than most kids would have. Is that fair to say? You would think so, but I <laughs> I actually did not like politics and government. Really? I thought okay. it was too boring yeah, growing yeah, up yeah. as a kid. But, 
you know, it really was no big deal to live th- down the street from the president of the mm-hmm. United States. I guess I kind of took that for granted. That's crazy. You know, I took the train to school every day and I would pass by the monument and the yeah. Supreme Court and yeah. all these other famous landmarks. And, you know, I it never really dawned on me that yeah. other people don't have this opportunity. And so... Uh, I kind of took it for granted, you know, yeah. growing up so close to the uh, political capital. Yeah, <laughs> that's world. crazy. Yeah. I feel like things have changed so much, especially mm. since like 9-11, I think mm. of just in terms of like, yeah, like I, even me growing up, like politics was boring. Like it wasn't yeah. something like government was boring. Like, yeah. but I feel like now I'm, I lead um, a group of high schoolers and, you know, and a lot of this is a result of like everything that happened in 2020 and the pandemic and whatnot, yeah. but they are so aware of politics. Yeah. Like they have, they they are interested in talking about these these big political conversations. Yeah, that I don't just I think people weren't as interested in talking. At least young people weren't as interested in talking about. Yes, and as I look back on it, I think the problem for me and probably a lot of people too was that I didn't understand politics. I didn't understand how the government yeah. worked. Once I became a news reporter and I had to cover government and politics. Yeah, and I knew how it worked. That's when it became super interesting. Yeah. And I think a lot of young people shy away from politics because it is, it's not the most fun thing to learn about. Yeah. But once you learn how things work, you do take an interest in it and you do see how important it is. And yeah. I think that's what really did it for me. Yeah. It's funny. I was going to wait to like wait into this until later, but I just wanted to talk <laughs> about like the idea of like politics and news mm-hmm. and like how the news like affects politics and like that relationship. So you were drawn to journalism. Was there any interest in like politics that drew you into that? Or was it just the journalistic side of like getting the facts? It was an interest in all things. The great thing about journalism is that it can make you a little bit of an expert in very many fields. Oh, sure. Yeah. And so politics was just one of them. Um, And I've had my, and I've covered political beats before too. And so it's been, um, it's been interesting, you know, yeah. and so, but, you know, it wasn't politics that drew me to journalism. It's really journalism first. Yeah. Just the idea of being a news reporter and covering yeah. stories that paved the way for me to learn more about politics and develop a, develop a like for politics. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And ha- so for how long were you a television reporter in D.C.? Uh, well, I was only an intern in D.C. My first TV news reporter job was in Mississippi. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. 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 Um, I, was, uh, I was there for six years okay. as a news reporter, and then I moved to North Carolina and worked for seven years as oh, a dang. local television news reporter. So, yeah. Will you, a- will you just share a little bit about like what you were doing, like in case anybody like isn't aware of that job, like what, sure. what it entails? Sure. So every day, you know, I was out there covering a story yeah. of – it may not be the lead story. Sometimes it's your feature stories and whatnot. And because I worked in television, I not only had to cover a story, I also had to get video of it mm-hmm. and get interviews for it. And that's what really took up the bulk of my day. Yeah. And it was general assignment. So one day it could be politics. The next day it could be crime. Yeah. Um, the next day it could be human interest. It could be so many things yeah. that, um, that I covered yeah. in the day. Can you give me kind of a like broad definition of like what journalism is? Mm-hmm. Like what like just like a def like a, an overall definition for it. I know that's kind of a broad question. It's like defining religion. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're I'm, I'm thinking back to my one on one classes in, in college because yeah. we kind of covered this. But um, at its core, I believe journalism is the voice for the voiceless. That's oh, wow. what we were taught and that's how we were educated in our school was that we were supposed to be there and give people a voice who necessarily didn't have one or didn't have a platform to do one yeah and that encompasses a lot of things yeah when you take that motto and apply it um to our stories and whatnot that really is the goal of the news reporter is to be the voice of someone yeah who doesn't necessarily have the same tools you do gotcha yeah that's cool. And it ties into our faith so well. Yeah. Like, I, I think there's lots of instances of Jesus, like, doing that. Yes. Like, seeking out people who didn't have voices. Exactly. And, exactly. And, and, like, wanting to hear their story. Exactly. And it doesn't always have to be a sad story or a hard news story. It could be a fun story, too. It's just yeah. it's just be opening up a new perspective to people. Yeah. And so um, that's also another thing about journalism is that um, it could just take you down so many rows. Mm-hmm. And you never know where you're going to end up. You never know what you're going to end up covering that day. Yeah. One of the most exciting things and most stressful things too is that I would go into work not knowing how I was going to feel 
Yeah. <laughs> that time I got off my got off. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. It is a little like a first responder. Yeah. Like you don't know what's yeah, gonna yeah, happen yeah. during you, the day. You, you don't know. You don't know. Like there's nothing routine. There was nothing routine about my job. The only yeah. routine thing I had was getting up in the morning, getting breakfast, and heading out the door. After I left my uh, apartment, who knows <laughs> yeah. what was going to happen that day? You yeah. Know? So, yeah. That's wild. What an adventure of a time. That's so cool. <laughs> yes. And you said you traveled a bit during that time? Were I, you... I did travel a bit. Um, mostly, um, you know, because I was a local news reporter, I, I, I mostly stuck to the area which I was covering. And so I saw a lot of different yeah. things there. But every now and then, the story would take me um, abroad. Like, um, I went to D.C. to cover the Pope visiting i uh went to phoenix to cover the college basketball championship Mm -hmm. i went to san antonio to cover um there's a soldier who got um who got injured in a um exercise in north carolina and um i flew to san antonio to be with him in the hospital he's okay now but um i flew with him as he was recovering and i did a story with him too so and then I've had my share of hurricanes. I can't tell you how many hurricanes wow. I covered. Uh, yes, I was the guy standing out in a hurricane. Oh, my God. <laughs> getting blown by the wind. That's wild. Um, cover snowstorms and uh, cover floods. And yeah. So, yeah. What is that? This is such a weird question, but it popped into my head. What's, like, the least safe you've ever felt on the job? <laughs> <laughs> so the least safe I've ever felt was, um, th- this is in Mississippi, and there was a murder and okay. the police suspected that this notorious gang member was uh, was the killer. Okay. That gang member called our newsroom and said it wasn't me, and he would want to do an interview. And so my boss says, can you go and interview <laughs> this gang member yeah. who police suspect he murdered somebody. Yeah. He's been suspected of other murders, yeah. and you want me to go interview him. And so I asked my um, my boss if I can get a um, photographer because yeah. at, at that newsroom, I was not only a reporter, I was my own cameraman. I was shooting and writing and editing my own stuff. Dang, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, so, um, and so I asked my boss, can he give me a cameraman yeah. to go with me? And so we did the interview. It was fine. I'm, yeah. Yeah. But it was probably the most dangerous I felt, you know, talking to this gang member who's upset. <laughs> right, sure. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's being he's being blamed for a murder and so forth. Like that. Yeah, so, yeah. Were, were, I guess were you off camera interviewing him like on camera? Yes. Gotcha. Yes. 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 So kind of like we did in Ensenada. Yeah. 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 You did, and then um, and then I fronted the piece because we did a live shot. So um, Got how it. my interview okay. worked is like yeah, I would be off camera interviewing him, and then we put we'll put the tape piece together. Gotcha. And then I do deliver a live report for the uh, five o'clock news. Gotcha. So yeah, that's so cool. The te- the the world of journalism and news reporting has changed so much. Mm-hmm. So like, what year was that, uh, roughly? Probably around the time Facebook came out, shortly oh, okay. after that. Facebook gotcha. changed a lot of things with yeah. the news industry. So yeah. we're talking, Facebook came out in what, 2003, 2004? So we're talking. Yeah, it was really getting big, five, six, seven, kind of going into Yeah, so I'd say around that time is when the industry really started to change, is with yeah. social media uh, rising, yeah. for sure. And obviously the technology and the mediums and the way that news is delivered has changed. Mm-hmm. But how has the like heart and like ethics and like way of approaching news changed over the last like 10 or 15 years. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think for a lot of us, it has not changed. You know, ethics don't change. Um, Integrity doesn't change. Yeah. And so I still think there's a group of journalists who are really dedicated respectful of the business, who really seek the truth and to really hold people accountable. The problem is, is that the industry has become muddied with, you know, citizen journalists who don't have the same training Mm. or the same ethical values that, you know, somebody who's been doing this professionally may have. And then you also have commentators, you also have tabloid journalists, you know, and so forth like that. So it's becoming mixed in with the more credible uh, yeah. journalists and that's really making it hard for people for reporters like us to really stand out because we're getting painted with the same brush as some of these tabloid uh, journalists yeah it's like everybody's got a camera now everybody has a camera and everybody 
doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah. And so um, the implications um, can be a lot more damaging than they would might expect. So, yeah. yeah. What are some of those, like, um, if you could just give me some examples of, like, the criteria or the guidebook or um, the... I don't know, just like what is, what is and isn't cool as far as journalism goes, and like what is and isn't acceptable. If that makes like so just some of the rules. Sure, I guess, sure, 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 it. sure. Um, I think your basic rules are you want to be um, unbiased. Okay. Um, you have to put your personal feelings aside, yeah. and um, I had to do that myself. Yeah. Um, especially when it comes to politics. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that you want to get both sides. Yeah. Um. You definitely want to, you know, if you talk to one side, you definitely want to talk to the other. Mm -hmm. um, you want to treat people with respect and just report accurately. Yeah. Um, don't force a headline. Yeah. You know, there are times where I was told by the newsroom, we think this is the story, but go out and investigate it. Mm -hmm. And then when I went out there in the field, I would say, it's not what we thought it was. Yeah. And you have to hold true to that. You yeah, know, because there are some people out there or some reporters out there that would try to force a headline because it sounds good or whatnot. Yeah. And they lose that accuracy. They lose that credibility. And so I think those are some of the main points that I don't think will ever change. Yeah. should never change. Yeah. And I think that should apply to all journalists. Yeah. You know, it's being fair, being accurate um, and doing your story justice, mm -hmm. you know, treating it with the respect. Yeah. You know? It's almost like testing a scientific hypothesis. Like you have to be willing to realize that what you're trying to prove yes. isn't actually true. Yes. Yes. And, then, you know, and some days our stories did line up. Like yeah. what we thought was happening was yeah. happening or was a lot worse. Wow, <laughs> and, yeah. And, but then there were some days where it's like, okay, this wasn't a story or the story that we think it was. Yeah. And we just have to bend with that, you know. Yeah. And um, I, I'm thankful that um, a lot of my producers and bosses I've had over the years kind of kept to that. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. For sure. Mm -hmm. um, how Help me or like help our listeners, like how can we identify the difference between good journalism? And you, I think the phrase you used was citizen journalism, yeah. right? Like how can we identify the difference in that? Like as we're on social media or just like online on the internet, I think it comes over time, you know, like one of the things, you know, that I had to work on as a reporter was developing sources and contacts mm -hmm. and let them know that I was a good journalist. Yeah. And they didn't know that right off the back meeting me. They had to get to know me. They mm. had to, like, watch my work. And so I would say to people who are trying to find good journalists is study a network or a particular reporter over time. Mm. And if their stories are lining up and you like their reporting and you see that they're not out just to create a headline or they're trying to be sensational, sensational, yeah, then that's how you can tell a good journalist from like your, you know, your more what we call yellow journalists, gotcha. tabloid journalists. Gotcha. And that's how you kind of separate is that you just have to watch them over time. Yeah. And let their work speak for themselves. It's like any relationship. It is. You have to build trust. Yep. Yes, yeah. you do. You do. Um, have you ever, so obviously we're not sharing the different news networks that you've worked for, but have you ever struggled with a news network that you've worked for having a political bias or having a bias in the way that they approach stories? Not a particular network, but a particular boss. Okay. Um, okay. This, he, this was years, years ago. Nobody yeah. who I'm working for now. Yeah. But I felt like sometimes he had a personal stake. In our gotcha. stories, one in particular was that in, um, he lived in a suburb and they were proposing a bond to build a high school football field, I think. Hmm. And he was so against it. Hmm. And I felt, me personally, I felt a lot of stories that we did were... Um, against this bond passing to build a football field, yeah, because he was against it, yeah, and so um, I didn't like that, and I yeah. um, I my respect for him went down a little bit after that, and the, and the bond did not pass, mm. and he was very grateful for that, and yeah. it just kind of like it just kind of confirmed what I was thinking all along, like yeah. he geared our stories to. You know, he used our stories as propaganda to get people not to vote for this bond totally. because he didn't want it. And but that was the only boss I had. But no, not a particular network, no company. Um, it was really more the people who 
who yeah. I was working for. There is a space within journalism, within news reporting, for opinion pieces, right? Like that's a whole realm of journalism. Yes, that's called. That's where you get into commentating, and your commentators. Right. I never had that um, really because I was, you know, I was a reporter, and yeah. you know. I didn't really have a platform for me to give my opinion. That's wasn't as hard to do. Yeah. But there is room. We do have that in our industry um, yeah. for op-eds or commentators. The thing is, is that I guess nowadays they're that's also being mixed in with journalism. Yeah. And so or reporting and the and they're not exactly the same. Yeah. You know, and so um you know, a reporter giving his opinion is not necessarily reporting the news. He's giving his opinion. Right. But the people at home don't know that. And so they're taking sure. that opinion as news. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Yeah. How do you tell? Yeah. If you're just turning it on, like, how do you know the right. difference? Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that's that's really the downside of the 24-hour cable news networks sure. because they fill a lot of that time with commentators and hosts yeah. who are not necessarily journalists but are Hosts, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, if you're watching that and you agree with what they're saying, you're going yeah. to start taking that as fact, as news, totally, and so forth. So, yeah. You used the word earlier, which is sensationalism. Mm -hmm. Will you define that specifically as it pertains to like news reporting? So, sensationalism, um, as I would describe it, is doing something, taking something, taking a story, and embellishing it for the sake of ratings yeah. or you know advertising dollars and um really making that more of the focus than this story hmm. and that's something that i've always steered clear from yeah. and a lot of my colleagues have too i don't think i've ever worked in a newsroom where i felt that we were being sensational yeah sensational with our stories yeah. and you want shocking headlines because right. this is what's going to grab people and whatnot and so that's what I'm defining more of sensationalism. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, what is it that motivates news networks or news reporters to kind of do what they do? Like, and obviously there's going to be different kinds of motivations, but mm -hmm. what have you seen from either a cable news network, a news station, a newspaper? What, what is it that motivates them to produce whatever content it is that they're producing? So that's a layered question because the news business is so subjective. Yeah. Everybody has their own opinion on what's considered a news story. Everybody has their own opinion on how as to how to cover it. Yeah. And so um what motiv so what motivates us would probably vary among different people. Um but for me and for a lot of the colleagues that I uh that I work with, what motivated us was um Yes, it's a job, and it is a nine-to-five, but every now and then you see how it impacts someone. Mm. And they come up to you, and I said, because of this story or because of the story you did, yeah. you know, this saved my life. You yeah. know, like, say, if I did a medical story. Yeah. Or, um, you know, or somebody who suffered a great tragedy and a bunch of people donated because we got a story out there. Yeah. That what motivates me to keep going because yeah. sometimes you can get lost in the nine to five just kind of out there shuffling doing stories and whatnot and you don't realize that people are watching watching what you do and watching this product until yeah. they stop you on the street and say hey i saw your story and it did this for me and so i think that's what motivates me and that's what i've seen in a lot of uh, my upbringing yeah. working as a reporter and a journalist as well. That's cool. So, yeah. That's awesome. Um, okay, so you spent uh, 12 years, it sounds like, it, between yeah. Mississippi and North Carolina. Yes. Um, what brought you out to L.A.? <laughs> That's a testimony in and of itself. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> um, so, I always felt God was calling me to L.A., and I remember as young as five years old, I knew this is where I was going to live, even though I'd never been here before. Interesting. Five years old? Five years old. I was in wow. as early as, yeah, somewhere around. I know I was a kid. Um, I was in Washington, D.C., never been to L.A., don't have any family or friends out here, but I always knew this is where God was going to call me to. I And I can't explain it, but I was just so driven as a young kid that this is where mm -hmm. I'm going to live. So when I got hired as a reporter, you know, I finally got my foot in the news industry, my goal was to make my way to L.A., Yeah, you know. Um, it didn't happen. A lot of doors closed. Mm -hmm. 
And I came really, really close to a job in 2019 that I thought I was going to get. Yeah. And I came so close that I thought it was mine. I thought I was going to get the job. I was even picking out my apartments online and where I was going to shop yeah, and all this yeah, other yeah. stuff. Like I had my life laid out. Mapped out, yeah. Because I thought I was going to get this job. Yeah. I did not. And that was devastating because I felt God was calling me to live in L.A. Mm-hmm. And so when that door closed, that broke me down completely. Yeah. And I um, not necessarily gave up on the dream, but I just kind of told God, like, maybe you weren't behind this. Yeah. So that was in 2019. And then a few months passed. And again, the feelings of me wanting to go to L.A., I heard that voice again. Yeah. The voice I've heard my entire life, like, you're going to move to L.A., you're going to move to L.A. And so I uh, prayed about it. I said, God, you know, no doors are opening, but yet I keep hearing this voice that I'm going to move to L.A. or I keep feeling like this is where I'm going to live. Yeah. What do you want me to do with that? So I prayed that prayer, and a few days later, this is in 2019, God told me uh, to quit your job mm. in a year and move to LA. Quit your job a year from when you... Right, yeah, right, yeah, okay. right. Because I was under contract, and my contract oh, was okay. up in 2020. So gotcha. basically he said, don't renew your contract. Don't resign your contract. Yeah. So let your contract run out with your current newsroom, sell your stuff, and yeah. move to LA. And that's exactly what I did in 2020. Without um, a job. Without a job. In the middle of that, the pandemic happened. Yeah. And my friends were asking me, like, are you still going to move to LA without a job? And I was like, yeah. Because I was so convicted and so convinced that this is what God wanted me to do. It was too big to fail. Like, that's huh. how strongly I felt. So, um, now I was smart about it. I did apply to jobs in yeah, LA, yeah. you know. Um, but in September 2020, I bought a one way ticket, uh, sold all my stuff, sold my car, packed one suitcase, Dang, bought a one way ticket at uh, Raleigh Durham Airport in North Carolina. Uh, flew to LAX on a Monday, landed on a Monday, did not have a job. Um, <laughs> my plan was to rent an Airbnb for a month and then just see how it goes. Yeah. Um, and so I landed at LAX and then um, <laughs> the next day, one of the networks who I applied for called me and offered me a job. Dang. I know that God was behind this because I landed perfectly well on my feet. Yeah. I got a nice job, a nice paying job. I was yeah. able to buy a car. I got a nice apartment. Like, I quickly got on my feet. It's yeah. just like I landed perfectly. I, I could not have written the story any better. Dang. But yeah. That's a lot of faith, man. That's crazy. That is crazy. And it's so, it's so unlike me. But they, but I, I don't remember how to phrase it, but they say, you know, if you, if you could do it yourself, then it's not really God's dream. Like, God's dream mm. will push you. Oh, to do convicting. something that's you know that's so far outside your comfort zone. Yeah, I mean I'm a planner by heart, mm-hmm. you know, and the fact that um, I was planning to move to LA without a job because I remember talking to my pastor about it because he was counseling me. Yeah, for the past few years about it because I spoke to him about it several times. It's like I just feel like I'm supposed to live in LA, and when I finally told him that that this is what I'm going to do, yeah, he was still a little reserved about it. He was like, hmm. you sure? You know, you don't have if a job. If your pastor's not a little hesitant. Yeah. yeah that's so funny. I told him, I said, you know what? I think God is purposely not telling me how L.A. is going to work out because knowing me, I will put myself in the driver's seat. Yeah. And so maybe it's a good thing he's keeping me in the dark. Maybe his plan is for me, hey, just get to L.A. Yeah. And I will tell you the next step. Yeah. And looking back on it, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. You know? And so um, it's because it, had he told me how it's going to work out, I probably would have stressed if I felt like things weren't lining up properly. Yeah. But that transition, that period of my life, I hadn't. I couldn't do anything but trust God on that move. Yeah. You know, like just go to LA, you know, you know how big LA is, you know, that's not a city you just go to without a job. Yeah. You know, especially when you've had one for such a long time to just quit your job and just go to. So it, it, it was a lot of faith, but it just felt, I was so convicted and so convinced. Yeah. It was, it's, I haven't felt, I don't think I felt like that about anything before or since it was yeah. just that strong yeah and that really has been one of my greatest testimonies yeah is um taking such an extraordinary leap of faith yeah um 
to move to LA um, and um, to leave everything behind and move to LA. But, you know, it, I just knew my purpose was here. Yeah. I knew my destiny was here. Yeah. You know? So uh, what's funny is I feel like we're halfway through the story, though, because it's like, what, what, ha- you've been here for about two years now. Mm-hmm, almost two what, years. What has been, what, what have you seen God do from, from kind of stepping out in faith in this way? So that part of the chapter is still being written. Yeah. You know, I think the misconception is that we think that purpose is like some one big grand thing that we're going to yeah. achieve. I've seen God work in smaller ways, for instance, bring me to Rocky Peak, send me up yeah. on mission trips. Um, I definitely improved um, spiritually, like mm-hmm. some of my uh, uh, personal things I deal with spiritually. I've seen, a, uh, I've seen, I've seen improvement in that as well. Yeah. And so... I feel like I'm still, this is all leading up to something. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It may not be one big thing. It may be a series of things. Yeah. I, I'm not sure, but I never had second doubt since I moved here. No regrets. Yeah. It's, it's it actually turned out, it, it's turning out better than I imagined, actually. Really? Uh, yeah, it, it, it is. Yeah. But um, just God continued to grow me in just the whole leap of faith certainly deep in my walk with God. Yeah. Just seeing how that in and of itself just kind of like brought me closer to God. And I feel God more than I ever had before. Yeah. But yeah. Well, stepping out, you have to, you have to trust God. And I was really mm-hmm. convicted by what you said about like, if you, I forget how you worded it, but if you can do it by your own strength, like, is it really like an act of God? Like, yeah. is it really an act of faith? Yes. If you have the ability, if you, if you know that you can do it on your own. Right. Right. Because you're not trusting God. You're trusting yeah. yourself. Yeah. But in that in that case, I really had to because I really didn't know how this was going to work out. Mm-hmm. And, I, and you know, the, the interesting thing, I never lost a night of sleep. I, sorry. I never lost a night of sleep over it. Yeah. I never did. I always, I slept that final year in North Carolina. Never had a worry. You know, uh, my friends were worried. You know, my <laughs> pastor were reserved. But no, I ne- there was one tiny moment where I took a big gulp. I was like, am I really going to do this? Yeah. But that lasted for a few seconds. But when I when God told me to, uh, you know, leave North Carolina in a year, be, in that time period, it never I never doubted, never had any problems with peace. Yeah. I knew it was God's hand at work. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's wild. <laughs> and you're, so you, um, are, you said you're working from home now. Mm-hmm. What kind of news reporting are you doing now? General assignment, but I work more on the national side. So if, you know, we cover the war in Russia and okay. Ukraine, um, I cover president Joe Biden. If he okay. gives a speech, um, tragically we cover school shootings and whatnot. Mm. So, um, even though I'm in LA, and my newsroom is in LA. We are responsible for national news stories gotcha. and international news stories as well. And what are your sources like? What are what is the actual work that you're doing as far as reporting goes? If you're not actually physically there, because it must have been weird going from working so long in the field to yeah. just being at your computer. Yeah. So a lot of it's still the same. Actually, it's just instead of me visiting somebody, I'm making phone calls with them. Okay. I'm doing gotcha. Zoom interviews with them. Gotcha. Um, maybe I'm writing up a press release or I'm watching Joe Biden and speech and rewriting that and transcribing that. So there's a couple of different ways I'm still able to turn out stories and make connections and whatnot, even though it's all virtual and over the phone. It's still there. um, I'm just not meeting people physically in person. I'm more of emailing them or calling them um, to get my questions answered and to get a story out and you just you have kind of some side gigs that you do as far as reporting goes like i know that you have your own website where you share or are those just stories that you have done through the organization you work with yeah some of them are through the network that i work with and i just i kind of pick and choose which ones i'm going to highlight on my page um there was a time where i was going out and doing my own stories um i kind of uh, put that to the side now because things have gotten so busy at work. Yeah. But yeah, if you go, uh, yeah, I sometimes I would take a story that I've done and I may put it on my page or whatnot. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I try to pick the more positive, inspiring stories yeah. to do, I mean, to pick and showcase yeah. on my social media page. Can you give me an example of just one that you're really proud of Ooh, that you uh, love doing? There's just one touching one that I did. Um, there was a guy who worked for an airline, and um, he had deceased, and he left two sons behind. Wow. And so his colleagues at his airline took his uniform 
and stitched teddy bears out of them Aww. to give them to their to give them to his children who didn't have, who, who no longer had a father. Wow! And that was one of the standout pieces uh, for me. You yeah. know, it was such an unusual yeah. act of service that I had to do a story on it. Yeah. And um, I talked. I remember talking with the uh, with the widow, and uh, we did an interview over Zoom and mm-hmm. whatnot. And she was great as well. And that was one of my. Uh, favorite stories that I uh, put together. That's cool. Yeah. Getting to like be so close to people Mm -hmm. like in, like if you're doing a story on them, it's probably one of the biggest moments in their lives for better or for worse. Yeah. That's the one thing of my job. Uh, Sometimes I'm talking to people on their worst day and sometimes I'm talking to people on their best days. Yeah. And, but you're right. Um, When I do call when I do reach out to them, it is a big moment in their life. And I want to treat it as such, too. I don't take that for granted. Yeah. I know that they're inviting me into their home yeah. virtually yeah. Um, and inviting me into their lives and trusting me to tell a story. Mm. And I treat that with such care. Yeah. Because it is a big moment. It's a privilege. Like, yeah. An honor. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Um, I don't want to mess that up in any way. Yeah. And I'm grateful for them for allowing me to do that. Like as much as they're thanking me, I'm thanking them, yeah. you know, cause I get to tell your story. Yeah, absolutely. You know? so, yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of people, uh, blame the, as, as one source of like the problems in our country, like blame the news. Mm. Right. And the way, like the manipulation that the news has, um, on people, you know, people referring to CNN versus Fox, kind of these different perspectives, yeah. um, which I'm not asking you to address like, you know, <laughs> those, but, um, uh, do you think, do you feel like the news really has st- still has like a huge impact on Americans and the way that they think like that it did like 20 years ago? Yes, I do. But here's the thing where I tell people, you'll be surprised how much the public influences what the media covers. Yeah. You know, a lot oh, yeah, of yeah, yeah. a lot of the stories that we do is a reflection of the public's interest. Mm. And social media can kind of help us gauge, and so is Google. Yeah. Can help us gauge where people are thinking and so forth. Like I don't know why, but the Johnny Depp Amber yes. Heard case was big. And so as a news organization, we could not ignore that. Totally. Because that's where the interest was. Yeah, you know? I was looking at some stats on it. Over the month of May, the the keywords Johnny Depp and Amber Heard had more searches than Roe versus Wade, abortion, exactly. school shooting, Uvalde. Exactly. It was it was that that was the big event of Exactly. Yeah. And so we kinda have to follow that. We can't we cannot do it because yeah. you know journalism is a service and so we have to kind of go where the people are going too yeah and so um i don't know why that is as to why that case got more or why the public paid more attention to that case versus all other cases and whatnot yeah but yeah i still think i, I and I, I think it's a cycle i think the public can influence the media and in some ways the media can also influence the public like you know People may argue about this point, but I think people started taking COVID seriously, at least in the beginning, mm. because of the media coverage. Totally. Now, there's a point to be made as to whether or not the media overblew COVID-19 pandemic, and that's, yeah, that's that. you could make cases on both sides. Yeah. But initially, because I was covering COVID before it was a pandemic, I was yeah. covering when it was still happening in China. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Did you yeah. happen to watch the morning show? On yes, Apple? I did. did. Yeah. Season two? Did you see season yes, two? I yeah, did. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that was my, that kind of brought back a little flashbacks for me. Yeah, and totally. So, um, you know, and so I think that kind of helped. Did people take it some take? Get people to take it seriously, and the yeah. same thing with a lot of other issues as well. I think the media coverage, you know, Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. I think that's also reshaped. The coverage on that has also reshaped people's minds yeah. and so forth like that. So I think it's a cycle. Yeah. What kind of news reporting just like makes your heart sing? Do you just like love to see in other uh, that other people like your colleagues that you see like on the news? What makes something like just like a great piece of reporting, a great piece of journalism? So there's a couple of things. One, it has to be visually appealing hmm. um, for me. And then two, the interview uh, you have to have somebody who who's really um, articulate in their thoughts and okay. their um, sentences to really convey, yeah, you know, the story. Um, in general, uh, 
I like a good crime documentary. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just me personally. But I watch uh, 60 Minutes. Oh, okay. I like the one-on-one interviews. I do like um, a little bit of, you know, I definitely like the human interest, positive storytelling. Yeah. When, you know, ordinary ordinary citizens doing extraordinary things. Yeah. That's one of my favorite stories to watch. How, yeah. like, an everyday person is somehow elevated to the national level because of what he did. Yeah. You know, there's a story now about a um, Burger King employee mm-hmm. in Las Vegas who worked for nearly 30 years and never has never taken a day off. Yeah, never has taken a day off. And now, meaning like seven days, like three sixty-five, like that often, or just like never taking like a scheduled. You never taking a scheduled day off. Yeah, yeah, vacation or anything like that. That would be insane behavior. Yes, yes. And uh, it's still it's already it's still insane behavior. Tell tell me about it. And he was just on he was just on the news a few days ago, and watching him, that kind of like. You know, that kind of made my heart sing because yeah. this is a guy who's just doing what he does. Yeah. He's not at, he didn't ask for this attention. Somebody yeah. I think his daughter or granddaughter brought it to the news station. So yeah. yeah. So those are kind of stories that I really, really like. Yeah. yeah. And then so the opposite question, like what kind of makes you cringe? Like what's what are the kinds of stories, the kind of reporting that you are like almost like offensive to you or like, oh, like I wish they were doing this differently. So it may not be a particular story. It may be um, the repetitive, uh, repetitiveness of it. Like, gotcha. <laughs> man, when it's breaking news and you have nothing to break anymore and you're just kind of yeah. like repeating the same thing, that's more like, okay, we can move on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you don't have anything yeah. else to say, let's kind of move on to the next story. Yeah. But, you know, there are some networks out there that would just hammer that breaking news till it's dead and gone and you're just like – yeah. You're not really saying anything new. You're just saying the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So those are the things that make me <laughs> cringe. Yeah. You know. So yeah. And, and I kind of wonder if like if n- news network there is a pressure to like always have breaking news to always have something that's like high, like critical and important and like happening. Is, is there a pressure for that or or not not really? More the pressure to be the first ones. Oh, okay, that's yeah. still that's still there. You you still. You know, um, newsrooms still like to be the first ones to break it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's pressure to find breaking news because that just makes for a longer day for us in a very stressful Interesting. One. Okay. But, um, you know, when it is breaking, you want to But be the isn't first there ones. always airtime to fill? Yeah, I guess it depends on who you work for. I mean, yeah. um, you know, uh, there's enough news happening to okay. feel. There's a lot of stuff. It may not be as juicy yeah, as, yeah. you know, you want it to be. Okay. But there's enough stuff going on in the world to kind of keep the wheel going. Gotcha. Um, some days are slower than others. You yeah. know, <laughs> we, we've had that before where we're yeah. just kind of like, feel like we're picking the bottom of the barrel. That's and there's funny. Just, there's just nothing happening. We're kind of like hoping for breaking news. Not tragic breaking news. We're just yeah. hoping for something to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that we could report. But yeah. yeah. So yeah. Is, uh, I feel like there's a, there's a buzzword over the last couple of years, which is like fake news. Mm-hmm. Is fake news as big of an issue as people make it out to be, feel like it is, talk about it being? I mean, it certainly was during former President Trump's yeah. uh, presidency um, yeah. when he would use that catchphrase over and over again. Yeah. Um, but then again, his application of fake news or what he would call fake news, we were wasn't really fake news Uh, and that's not me getting into politics it's just a fact of the matter yeah um but in um it's a word that we 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 don't cover fake news Mm -hmm. Uh, i I never worked anywhere where we made up a news story and put it out there in the air or something like that now if we mistakenly mistakenly reported something we were corrected right away Mm. i mean we are human mistakes do happen we may get bad information from our sources that stuff does happen totally um but um it's yeah that's yeah (laughs) that's all it's a hard question (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah it's crazy i i um was just thinking about that and just like the, the the i guess the potential with news for manipulation or like what effect news can have on the country and people's perception of things and the way they think about things and even what they're thinking about. Cause to a certain extent, like what you cover mm-hmm. is like, it's almost like, can there help but be a little bit of an agenda in the midst of news? But it seems like you're coming at it from a pretty, like these are the stories that we have to cover today. This is what we have to like tell people about. Right. Right. And it's hard. <laughs> 
It's hard to argue that because I could definitely see what people are saying that certain networks have a, have a certain slant to it. Yeah, and you know that, and even I can feel that with certain networks as well. Yeah, um, and that really gets more to your commentators yeah. being grouped in with journalists. <laughs> who give oh, their opinion. That, that lack of yeah. distinction. Yeah. And then the whole network gets painted as that. Interesting. Um, and so um, I think there are journalists out there who just really stick to the just stick to the script. You yeah. know, if Biden gives a speech, yeah. we'll tell you what the speech is, no opinion. Yeah. And that's what I do, and yeah. that's what my colleagues do. Where you get the slant is when networks will bring on analysts to analyze the speech. Or commentators. Yeah. Then that's when you start get the that's where you start and get to the uh, political slant. Yeah. And some networks had their analysts who they like to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> and, sure, sure, sure. And who have certain uh, re- viewpoints. Reading between the lines. Yeah. Right. And so that that's where you get with that. And so that's where a lot of that comes in. Yeah. But not every network is like that. Um, yeah. I know there are some networks who have been credited for really keeping. Uh, objective and um, you know, staying, you know, just giving the facts, no opinion, yeah. no talk, no analyst, no, no analysis, yeah, and just kind of keep it to that. Gotcha. So yeah, cool. To what extent do you think believers should be engaging with the news? Because I think there's there's a tendency to just like turn it all off and mm-hmm. not listen to any of it, not consume any of mm-hmm. it. Um, and then I think there might be others who are like. Uh, it's on all the time, yeah, you know. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Um, I was gonna say addicted to it. I, I you know, I don't want to be that harsh, but like, are like interested in consuming yeah, it on like yeah, a very yeah, like daily basis. Yeah. Um, to what extent do you think it's healthy to like be engaged with the news? I definitely do think that you need to be aware of your surroundings. Yeah. I don't agree with the notion that oh, I'm turning off the news, you know, because I all and that kind of like make you talk about what makes me cringe. Yeah. That's one of them because that's not the way to live to shut it off. Mm. You have to be aware of what's going on around you because you have no idea how you can contribute Mm -hmm. uh, to a problem and you don't have any idea how you can avoid a problem. You know, and if people are shutting the news off, they're hurting themselves. And I feel like we're living in a day and age where you can really pick and choose what you consume and where you consume it. You know, we're not living back then where you had the three major networks, you only had a few newspapers and you just kind of stuck with them. News is around everywhere. You have Twitter, you have Facebook, you have Instagram. There's so many ways to consume your news, and you could cater your fees to mm. certain outlets or certain networks, whatever you want to do, topics. whoever you trust, or certain yeah. topics. But just be aware of what's happening outside your um, outside your front door. Yeah. I don't think you turning your TV off, or not necessarily TV or your device, whatever you, you yeah. Know, I don't think that's it's helping because it's yeah. not going to go away. The You're problem right. is going to still be there. Yeah. And so I think, um, I think personally, I think Jesus was very self-aware mm. of what was happening in the community. And I would think that he would be in tune to yeah. the news, you know, yeah. um, not necessarily may not watch it every day, yeah. but I think that he would engage and he would know what's happening out there, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. That I think believers should have some news knowledge in their yeah, life. In their life, yeah. I do. Yeah. Are you active on Twitter? Are you on Twitter? Minimally. Minimally. Yeah. I, I have become very interested. I really like the format of Twitter. Yeah. For some reason, when I go on Twitter, I feel like I like versus Instagram and and I'm not on Facebook, but Instagram or like TikTok. I yeah. feel like I've actually like expanded my like horizon a little bit yeah. or I've learned something new. I've thought about something yeah. new. Whereas like the others just feel a little bit more like endless scrolling. <laughs> I don't know if it's just because Twitter is textual and you're yeah. actually reading and kind yeah. of like hearing different perspectives on things. Yeah. Obviously it's very hostile and talk toxic and there's all kinds it can of be. awful stuff that I it see. Can be. Um, and there are ways to avoid that too, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's because I, I do get the argument that the news can be negative. It could be mm-hmm. polarizing and I certainly do get that. It could be, it could take a toll on your soul, your mental health and whatnot. Yeah. But I just feel like there's still a way to consume it and avoiding those pitfalls. I don't think the solution is I'm just going to cut it off completely. Yeah. You know. Um, Engaging it in, in a healthy way. Yeah. In, and in it, the world, but not of the world. Right. 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 To the point, and, and I think that healthy level differs for different people. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I could probably watch more news than the average person yeah. because I live it, I breathe it. Yeah. Um, and I could 
compartmentalize with it. Yeah. But I still have my limit too. Like certainly on the weekends, I'm you know cutting off the TV and turn yeah. off my phone and whatnot. I just got to take a break from it and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. I think last question I wanted to ask. I think I asked you this in uh, in Sonata, sure. but uh, any movies that you re- like a specific news. Uh, journalist movies that you feel like represent your field really well or just like really fun to watch? So there is a movie called Broadcast News. I believe it came out in the 80s or early 90s. And I think um, that came the closest to representing what an actual newsroom is. Gotcha. Um, believe it or not, <laughs> Anchorman has some truth to it. Yeah. And it is, you know, you know, they added the comedic factors, but sure. some of the stuff in Anchorman has happened in the newsroom just like <laughs> to, the ridiculousness like the just yeah just people's personalities the mistakes we made like you know tv they always say it's almost like make a sausage you don't you don't want to know how the sausage is made yeah, yeah, yeah. and um but on a tv side i think the morning show has done a really good job oh really okay of representing yeah. or reflecting what working in a newsroom is like again it's dramatized yeah well, but yeah, yeah, yeah it's like a lot there's a lot of truth in there too okay. as to how they convey you know, a working anchor woman and working gotcha. in the newsroom and so forth like that. So yeah, morning show is wild. Like yes. just, it felt like a well-filmed soap opera almost. Yeah. Just it, like people were screaming at each other in every episode. It can be. It can be. I've had those days myself where you know yeah. producers are screaming, chaos is everywhere, really, especially yeah. on breaking news. Yeah. You know, you do have the uh, the on-air talent that, you know, they're all about ego. I've dealt with that. Yeah. You know, I've dealt with insecure. You know, it's just, it's, it's, there's a lot of truth in that. That's wild. I throw out to you Shattered Glass with Hayden Christensen. Have you seen that one? No, uh-uh. That one's, that one's really good. And then Spotlight, I mentioned Oh, to Spotlight. You. How can I forgive Spotlight? I, really, yes. I love Spotlight. Yes. It's, um, it's kind of. It, it's kind of a plain just drama, but there's mm-hmm. some really good stuff in it if you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the reason I think of Spotlight is because that's investigative journalism and that's like a whole different world. But gotcha. they did an excellent job yeah. of what it takes to get a story and the challenges and the dead ends you face yeah. and so forth. I, If I'm not mistaken, I think it won a couple of Oscars. It's it won a, Best Picture Best that Picture, year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Beautifully done. And yeah. I just, that's that's another one of my favorite movies is Spotlight. Yeah. I think they did a really, really good job of portraying uh, print reporters yeah. and what it's like being an investigative reporter. Yeah. yeah. Imagine working on a story for, was it two, three years? Like they it's were on every, that for a long yeah, time. Yeah, and just digging and digging away. And then, you know, I, I, I've i done a little bit of investigative reporting, not to that extent. Yeah. But I, I have had that frustration of, the dead ends and you know you're you know you're not getting certain documents and so forth like that but then that one breakthrough comes yeah and suddenly your whole story comes together yeah i had that feeling too so yeah that that movie works really well partially because you've got all these different people kind of off doing their own thing Mm -hmm. and so you're able to cut back and forth between what mark ruffalo is doing um and what uh oh what's the other guy in that movie it's a great it's a great cast in that movie stanley tucci's doing and and everybody so yeah That's cool. That's awesome. I I love hearing about what you do. Journalism is kind of, it's one of those things like you can't do everything in life. And I think at one point I was like, oh, maybe like journalism could be like a career to pursue, but um, chose not to. In a lot of ways, what we're doing now is journalism. Podcasting is part of the field too. I mean, you know, I mean, journalism is, you know, looking very differently than it did a few decades ago. It's not just the pen and pad or the microphone and camera. It's... You know, it's the podcast, yeah. you know, so forth like that. So, yeah. yeah. And I got a real rush out of what uh, the stories we were working on in, in Ensenada. Just getting to film it happening and then getting yeah. to interview the people, like, who were involved in, like, these stories immediately after was, uh-huh. was really fun. Oh, Ensenada was beautiful. And to hear those stories and just feel that excitement and passion in those interviews and yeah. so forth like that. Yeah. yeah. I had a good time talking with them Are as well. Are you running camera for uh, Tanzania? I will be, um, not for the entire trip because um, I am going to be door knocking and evangelizing, but I will be working with Rocky Peak in some ways. It's kind of like what we did in Sonata, doing the interviews, getting some B-roll video of what we're happening and so forth. That's awesome, dude. I'm so excited for you. It's a long trip. It's it's an exhausting trip, but it's a very like fulfilling time. So I'm I'm very forward to it. I'm a little bit jealous. (laughs) Oh man, are you going to Uganda? Uh, no, I'm not. I think I'm actually going to be going to Uganda in March to do for a totally different thing to do um, a media conference 
Nice. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, you might actually might want to come to that. Oh man. It's just it's just a small little crew. It's it's like Brian Glassford and me and I like I, it won't be very many of us. Oh, so. Wow. Yeah, we did it like th- four years ago. We put on a media conference for anybody to attend at um, a university out there, and so I gave ah. like four or five different lectures. Brian gave a couple different lectures in Uganda. Um, in Uganda, yeah. Why in Kampala. Why? Why? We have a par- we have a partner church out there, uh, Pastor Peter, um, in Kampala, and uh, they invited us to do it. And we actually brought a bunch of gear uh, as a gift to give to them. Um, Interesting. And so that'd be really cool. You would have so much to like share with that. I know. I'm like, I want to know more about this. It's not even official. Talk. The dates aren't even set yet, but we were just talking about doing it. That's really interesting. I'll, I'll right? let you know yeah. when it comes up. No, for sure. Uh, Chris, great talking to you. Thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, just a pleasure hearing your story and what you uh, what you do. It's great. No problem. No problem. Anytime. 